this is the in focus podcast from the hindu welcome to the hindus in focus podcast i'm zubeda hamid your host for today last week saw a huge achievement in vaccine coverage the 50 crore mark in vaccine doses administered was reached but as the country continues to report over 30000 new cases a day and concerns mount about the delta variant in other parts of the world how much faster does our vaccination campaign need to be can we meet the government's estimated deadline of covering all beneficiaries over the age of 18 by december 2021 and do we have enough supply to meet this target Can our two main vaccines, Covishield and Covaxin, be mixed for better results? And what is the latest on that tricky subject, herd immunity? To discuss these questions and more, we have with us today Dr. K. Srinath Reddy, President, Public Health Foundation of India. Good afternoon, Dr. Srinath Reddy, and welcome to the Hindus in Focus podcast. Good afternoon. Doctor, last week India crossed a milestone in its COVID-19 vaccination coverage with over 50 crore vaccines administered. In July, the government had said that it expected all beneficiaries over the age of 18 to be vaccinated by December 2021. Do we need to significantly increase our daily coverage to achieve this target? And also will we have enough vaccine doses to meet this target? We do certainly need to increase our vaccine coverage. and uh, if we have to co- cover all the people who are eligible for vaccination by end of the year or even 80% of them at least to feel secure that we have covered sufficient numbers in order to create a protective barrier we do need to vaccinate many more people and uh, we probably need to reach double the vaccination on a daily basis right now if we have to reach that number but there is also one other element that needs to be considered if we are going to be getting vaccines approved for children in the next 2 or 3 months that means we are adding the people below 18 years of age as well possibly between 12 to 18 and could be even 6 to 8 12 in which case the numbers to be vaccinated will increase markedly uh Uh, by then in terms of uh, the total requirement and therefore we have to ensure that our supply chain is adequate for the vaccines our delivery channels are able to cope with that increased demand and at the level of the vaccination centers and the staff needed we need to have enough numbers there as well uh, to cover this larger number to be vaccinated will we be able to procure the number of doses that we require doctor the government is hoping to procure 135 crore doses it has said by the end of the year our vaccines are going to come from those which are being manufactured in india either having been developed in india or having been licensed for manufacture in india the import of vaccines is unlikely to have a large contribution therefore we'll have to depend upon the scale up of production of the two vaccines that have already been put in the pipeline since january which is covaxin and covishield 
and hope that they will be able to increase their total numbers much better. Secondly, we ought to really look at how the other vaccines which are licensed for manufacture in India, be it the Russian Sputnik vaccine or the Novavax or the Jensen vaccine of Johnson & Johnson are going to be also ramped up in terms of production. We have to then wait for the other vaccines which are currently under trial in India, particularly the vaccines that are being produced by Zydus Cadilla, also by biologically the other vaccine that's being produced, uh, the protein subunit vaccine, whether all of them are going to become available soon after the trials. And not to forget the mRNA vaccine that's also being produced in India. Now, if all of these are now currently in advanced trial stage, and we have to hope that some of them will pass muster in terms of regulatory approvals over the next few months, then we have to look at how fast their production line can be ramped up. In addition, we are also seeing at least two companies trying to produce mucosal vaccines, which can be inhaled uh, rather than have uh, vaccines which are uh, uh, to be injected as the current vaccines are. And therefore, uh, if we count all of these as potential candidates for entry into the supply chain before the year ends, we are likely to see more vaccines being available. But we'll have to wait and see because several of these vaccines are in the stage of clinical trials. While we should hope certainly that these vaccines would indeed turn out to be efficacious and safe and therefore pass the regulatory process for approval, we cannot bet on it at the moment. And therefore, we have to make sure that whatever vaccines are already approved, scale up the production and keep the hope that the other vaccines in the pipeline will also pass the test. Doctor, a quick question. You said that we will need to increase our uh, pace of coverage significantly. There has been some uh, controversy about the government's allocation of vaccines to the private sector. Is that justified, uh, keeping in mind that we need to significantly increase our coverage? I think the concern about the private sector capacity to deliver has been there from the very beginning. I believe there was an overestimate on part of some of the private sector advocates and the media and, of course, the governmental authorities who were taken in by some of those claims that if a large amount, up to 25%, is allocated to the private sector, the private sector can jump in and really boost the delivery of vaccines and reach a very high level of vaccination across the country in a couple of months. Uh, these were the claims that were being made in March and April, and that, I believe, influenced the governmental policy. It was a totally inaccurate estimate for several reasons. Firstly, much of the private sector in India, which is capable of delivering these vaccines in an organized fashion, is located in the larger cities in the metros and the Tier 1 cities. The presence of organized private sector in Tier 2, Tier 3 cities, as well as in the villages, is much less. Secondly, the incentives for the private sector 
to provide these vaccines uh, has been not very high in terms of the additional money they can collect. Initially, even when they were participating in the adult vaccination program for the people above 45 years of age, which they did, and I must give them credit for that, uh, they were only able to get 100 rupees out of each vaccination that they delivered as the sort of uh, service charge. But when they were told in April that they could actually step up their amount collected and they started believing that they can make more money out of it, and then the government had to reverse that process because they found that there was a fair amount of confusion about uh, the center and the states and the private sector competing for the vaccines from the manufacturers. Then the center again said they're going to cap the amount that the private sector can collect. But in the meanwhile, one other factor entered into the play. The private sector was previously being supplied the vaccine by the central government, which procured the vaccines. Now the private sector has been told that they have to procure the vaccines directly from the manufacturer, which meant that the manufacturer said you have to do a payment right up front and paying a huge amount for a number of vaccines, which they were not sure they would be able to administer in time, if particularly if there was certain amount of reluctance on part, people to, on part of people to take the vaccine would mean a lot of wastage of vaccine, but also that these people would be losing a lot of money. Firstly, they have to be capable of putting up that money, which is not necessarily easy for smaller nursing homes and so on in uh, tier two, tier three cities, whether the big hospitals in the metros can do it. So the initial investment was going to be a challenge for them. The capped profit margin was going to be a challenge for them. But I think the most important challenge is the relatively low presence of organized private sector in smaller cities and towns and villages, which should have been taken into reckoning. And therefore, it should have been left mainly to the public sector and the state governments, which have a major responsibility, should have been allowed to decide how best they could bring in the private sector as per need and opportunity. Now, that worked very well for the 45 plus group. Between January and April, there were no complaints. Uh, the private sector did administer vaccines when the state, state governments handed them the vaccines. It was only when everything was thrown out into the open and it became a laissez-faire affair in uh, laissez-faire problem, uh, I mean, way of uh, looking at it in, uh, um, from 1st of May onwards that I think the confusion set in and the lack of uh, capability of the private sector to administer the vaccines at the expected level, along with the constraints that they now say they're facing, all of these became challenges uh, which are limiting their performance. Right. Do you think this policy needs changing, Doctor? Of course, I believe so. I think we should go back to the policy that we had in uh, from January to April. The central government should procure all the vaccines uh, through a very well-negotiated price and should distribute it uh, to the states as well as to the private sector. Uh, I mean, particularly if the sta if, uh, states can actually engage the private sector in their own states and the center can uh, engage the private sector in the places which it directly controls, then it becomes much easier rather than this rather complicated mechanism that exists. Doctor, talking a little bit about the vaccines, the Indian Council of Medical Research recently did a study on the Covishield co-vaccine mix 
and it said that the neutralizing antibody response in the group that received the two different vaccines was higher compared to those who received two doses of the same vaccine. The sample size of the study, however, was small. But will this pave the way for a possible mixed vaccine regimen in the country, as is being done in a few other countries? Uh, firstly, we'll have to look at what is the theoretical basis for this and then look at the evidence gathered in actual conducted studies. There is a strong theoretical basis for this. In fact, in an op-ed in the Financial Express on 11th of June, I did write that it is time for Covaxin and Covishield to be tried out as a mixed vaccine regimen. And the reason for that is that we have vaccines using different platforms. Most of the vaccines that are currently available here in India, as well as globally, have been vaccines which have been targeting the spike protein, because that is the most important element of the virus, uh, which permits its entry into the cells, increases the infectivity of the virus, even as it mutates. And therefore, attacking the spike protein and preventing it from entering the cells would be very helpful. And therefore, antibodies which circulate in the blood and stop the virus before it enters the cell by neutralizing the virus, by tackling the spike protein, would appear to be very good uh, ways of preventing the infection from scaling up. But once the virus enters the cell, the antibodies are no longer useful. They're only useful in capturing the virus when it is in circulation outside of the cells. But inside the cell, the virus is protected. Therefore, you need other antibodies and cellular immunity, which can tackle the virus inside the cell, in the infected cell. And therefore, if you have an inactivated virus, like, for example, the co-vaccine, uh, which is a complete inactivated virus, it has multiple antigens to offer, including the nucleocapsid antigen. Uh, nucleocapsid is the membrane in which, uh, which actually is wrapped around the genetic material of the virus. And there are other uh, antigens also in the body of the virus, which are uh, more inside, uh, not exposed outside the surface of the virus like the spike protein. And those antibodies can tackle the virus even when it has entered the human cells. And therefore, it gives a better protection, though the amount of antibodies produced against the spike protein itself may not be very high level because the immune response is now distributed across several antigens, not focused on just one antigen. On the other hand, uh, vaccines like Covishield are focusing on the spike protein and they are producing the spike protein inside our body and the body reacts to that and then tries to neutralize the virus when the virus enters the body. Now, if the virus has developed severe mutations of the spike protein, like the Delta or even worse, the Beta variant, then these neutralizing antibodies become less effective. Therefore, it may not be able to capture the virus as well even when it is circulating in the blood. So you need other antibodies to also come to the help. And therefore, the idea of having uh, two vaccines with different mechanisms, which are complementary, one really raises the spike protein antibodies to a very high level. The other distributes the immunity across other antigens, and then therefore offers a broader platter of antigens and a broader 
array of protection, that combination has a strong biological rationale. And that's why now even mRNA vaccines are now being looked at as potential combination with the virus vector vaccines in uh, European studies. So uh, it is not a, not only uh, a logical way of looking at it, but it has been also shown in some studies to be helpful. Now, as far as the ICMR study is concerned, it was born out of an accident. Some people were erroneously given that second dose of uh, Covaxin uh, instead of Covishield. And it was good that they went and studied what happened and they found that the immunity was actually much better. So now a trial has been just approved today by the DCGI, the Drug Control General of India. So we will now know whether this is actually going to stand the test of a properly conducted trial or not. So the basic biological rationale is sound, but the proof of efficacy and safety still rests on a larger clinical trial. Right. You spoke about the highly contagious Delta variant just now, doctor, and said that, you know, the anti- uh, antibody response might not be great. Uh, the Delta variant is driving cases and hospitalizations up again. And what do we know about the effectiveness of vaccines against Delta and Delta Plus, especially in the light of studies in England and in Israel? Well, basically, what has emerged from studies across the world is that if you're fully vaccinated, if you have both your doses of the vaccine, irrespective of whichever vaccine it is, uh, it appears that there is adequate amount of protection, uh, even if it is not at the same level of antibody efficacy as against the original wild ancestral virus or even against the alpha variant. There is uh, some diminished efficacy, but still adequate efficacy to counter the virus. And same thing with the Delta Plus variant as well. Where the vaccines are really facing a challenge is with the beta variant of uh, which emerged from South Africa. And that is where there is a great concern. Now, the problem, of course, is that how long is the efficacy going to last, even if it is effective right now? And if it is at a diminished level, I'm not saying it's an ineffective level, it's still effective but nevertheless diminished level, then is it likely to give shorter duration of protection? That's why some of these manufacturers are now going in for calling for booster shots to be given soon, saying that after six months or 10 months, you have to give it another shot. That we do not know whether that those shots are really going to give additional protection or not. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that the current vaccines, if full vaccination doses are administered, then they still appear to be protective against the Delta variant. There is no reason for people to hesitate in taking the vaccine. But most certainly, we must try and see uh, how long the immunity lasts. And uh, we have to also keep ourselves protected uh, well against getting infected by new variants. Doctor, the fourth national zero survey that was conducted across 70 districts in 21 states in our country says that at least 67.6% of the population has developed antibodies, and this includes vaccinated people. Even state-level zero surveys like the one in Tamil Nadu recently have come up with similar numbers, with cities like Chennai showing 82% of the population having antibodies. Can you unpack these numbers for us a little and tell us about their implications? What inference can we draw about the rates of transmission of the virus going by these numbers? 
I think very early on, even in 2020, the WHO came up with a position on zero service, which I think is still valid. It said these are useful for finding out for research, but not proof of efficacy to say that somebody is definitely immune and it should not serve as an immunity passport. The reason is fairly clear. What the antibodies show, whatever we are measuring, are only showing us that a person has been exposed to the virus at some point in time, usually within the last six months, because the antibodies tend to fade between three to six months. And it does not give you any proof that these antibodies are neutralizing antibodies, that they're capable of capturing the virus when it is in the bloodstream and holding it immobile and making it ineffective for infecting the cells and letting the killer cells, T cells, to come and kill the virus. So antibodies which are to neutralize this particular virus are to be still demonstrated and not just depend upon the result of the zero survey. Zero survey only tells you whether there has been a antibody or not. It doesn't tell you whether it's capable of neutralizing. Secondly, as I said, these levels can fade very soon. How do we know that if I'm positive for antibodies today because of an infection I acquired four months ago, the next month I'm going to be still protected against the original virus or against the variants? There is no such proof at the moment. And if the antibodies do decline, then and the new variants come in, then we are still in trouble. So it's not a permanent stamp of immunity. You can still be considered a susceptible person. So to say that 67% of the people have antibody positivity and that they are no longer susceptible is not correct scientifically. Secondly, to judge that this is enough to say that there is herd immunity is incorrect because we do not know what the herd immunity threshold for this virus is. Initially, it was supposed to be 60 to 70%. Now with the Delta variant, people are saying it's about 80 to 90%, possibly even up to 90%. So 67% is still short of that. Thirdly, the 67% is not evenly distributed across the country or even within a city. There are some places with 75, 77, 78. There are some places with 44, 45, 52. So how are you going to really say that everybody is protected by herd immunity? Because herd immunity comes when a very large number of people who are immune, either because of natural infection or because of the vaccines, prevent the virus from circulating and block it from reaching the people who are not immune. But if any of those non-immune persons goes out to another place where the virus is still in active circulation, and only, let us say, 30 or 40% of the people have been infected or vaccinated, then these people who have gone from the so-called protected area to the non-protected area will be personally still vulnerable. So herd immunity is more of a population attribute, not a personal attribute. Only when a person is getting fully vaccinated, there is a reasonable confidence that the person is protected against a fresh infection not because they're being surrounded by some people and we are depending upon the charity of other people's immunity to protect us, even though we are not vaccinated. 
So I think uh, it's important for us to interpret this antibody surveys properly. But there is a definite benefit of the antibody survey. It tells you how effective your uh, uh, public health measures have been uh, to prevent the transmission of the virus. Uh, because if you are doing this at time intervals, at a particular point in time, if the exposure was only 27% and in the next survey it is only about 36%, that means your transmission has not been very high between these two periods. On the other hand, if it has jumped from 27% to 67%, that means in between your transmission control was not particularly effective. And that's exactly what happened with the second wave. Suddenly, we jumped up from somewhere about 25% to 67%. So that was a tremendous jump, which meant that our the second wave really was devastating in terms of the number of people exposed to the virus. But therefore, we must use the antibody service to tell us how to make our public health measures more effective to prevent the transmission, but not to rest comforted by the false belief that because 67% have been shown to be zero positive across the whole country, everybody in the country is protected against the third wave or whatever. One last question, doctor, before we sign off. There has been some concern about breakthrough infections. What do we know about them in India? Well, breakthrough infections, if you want to correctly define according to the internationally accepted definition, if an infection occurs, a proven infection occurs in a person who has been fully vaccinated, that means has received the two full doses of the vaccine, or if it is Johnson & Johnson vaccine, a, full, a, a single dose, two weeks after the second dose, then only you call it a breakthrough infection beyond two weeks after the immunization schedule has been completed. If it is happening between the first and second dose, you don't call it a breakthrough infection because you have not actually delivered the full dose of the vaccine. Now, the breakthrough infections are occurring. How many are occurring is difficult to say unless you actually survey a large number of people who have been fully vaccinated and test them properly. You can't go by hearsay, but certainly uh, the... Uh, infections are being reported in people who have been incompletely vaccinated and in some who have been fully vaccinated. But I don't think the numbers are so large for us to lose faith in the vaccines. The numbers are still few and we should go ahead with the vaccination uh, and get the full vaccination. Thank you so much for speaking to us today, doctor. Most welcome. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.